Hey, what's up? It's Presley Tennant from The Voice, and you're watching The Michael Finkley Show on Roku and YouTube. If I can make it through the night Just to see a brighter side Cause I've been working all my life Just to make it If I can make it through the night Everybody, welcome to the Michael Finkley Show. Thanks for joining us today. So I have to shout out, I'm wearing this awesome shirt. I have to shout out to Black Charleston here in Charleston, South Carolina. They are bringing black professionals together in a mighty way. So go check out their website. Go check out their social media. The information is across your screen right now. And check out this phenomenal group. If you're in the Charleston, South Carolina area and you're a black business owner or doing something positive in the community, please, this is the organization to affiliate yourself with. Black Charleston. And thank you for welcoming me, Finkley, to this organization as well. We appreciate you. So when it comes to the realm of service, as I said, there are a lot of many people out there just doing their thing. I feel like I've been of service to many people for many, many years since I was a youngster, um, just helping out at home, helping out my family, helping out my friends. And then also when I moved on into the professional arena, helping out students and other professionals meet their endeavors and what they really want to do in life. So I feel that I've been doing this all of my life. And it gives you an exciting feeling about what is to come within your life. I feel that once you help others and you're doing it real authentically um, in your own special way, blessings will come and you're able to help even more people. And this is what I want this platform to do. I want to service others and help even more people in their whatever endeavor that they wish to partake in. And so this is what our guests are doing today. We have awesome, awesome King Randall with us as he talks about his phenomenal school that he created for his young males. And he talks about the stories that got him to where he is today. So don't you go away. More to come. Back in a moment. Coming up, we have King Randall with us. Back in a moment. This is your boy, Kenny Lewis. And guess what? I'm here with my boy, Michael Finkley on Roku TV and YouTube. On the next Michael Finkley, platinum R&B group member of Shy, Dr. Garfield Bright is with us. He chats with us about life after the group, receiving his PhD, and so much more. Next Finkley, Friday. Keeping your skin flawless and clean is important, and I have the products just for you. Welcome to Mimi's Natural Pantry, where she specializes in homemade handcrafts, including rye and goat milk soaps, body butters, and sugar scrubs. All items are handmade products. All items have simple ingredients and are vegan friendly. In a world where you can barely pronounce many of the ingredients in your everyday products, Mimi's Back to Nature offers an alternative choice for those who are ready to get back into nature. Ready to order? Visit their website at Mimi'sNaturalPantry.com. All orders over $50 have free shipping up to 25 pounds.
hello everybody welcome back to the michael finkie show now my next guest you've probably seen him across the social media feed and doing the positive things for males within his community and ultimately across the world you have the founder with of the x for boys he is king randall king thanks for being with us today thanks for having me i'm glad to be here you're very welcome. Now, when I say name, it just flows. I'm, I'm calling you the key because you are that in your own right. Fantastic. So, I must ask, why is serving this young man in 2021 important? Um, well, right now, um, you know, in my opinion, I feel like a lot of our boys, especially where I live in the city of Albany, um, most of their moms are single um, there. And a lot of the moms are constantly working, et cetera. And uh, a lot of our boys are getting their inspiration from uh, social media, rappers, um, the football players, et cetera. Um, and that's where the boys are getting their inspiration from. And I feel like, you know, if we are going to, you know, help our boys, we have to learn how to be the biggest influence in their lives. Um, so my biggest thing, you know, for helping our boys right now is because, you know, our fathers are not there. Um, and I can speak for, you know, where I live um, in Albany, Georgia, not sure about any other cities or towns, but where I live, and we have a, a huge uh problem you know with our boys not having father figures and we're number one for poverty um in the state of georgia and we were at one point the fourth poorest city in the nation um in our school systems you know um we we're having trouble with our boys reading etc so um for me i just decided it was something it was time for us to you know get up and do something for our boys um i didn't feel like anybody was doing anything on a consistent basis that i felt like needs to be being done so of course you know you know if you want something done you gotta do it yourself uh so i started doing that um, since I was 19 and I'm 22 now and um, we've been extremely successful um, in the city of Albany. And that's amazing and I, I love what you stand for. You go out there and you do it. You don't wait, you do it. There's a system right. is there, but you don't wait. You do it for, you do it for the, the greater cause of the, the people, the young men that you're serving. Let's dive into your childhood a little bit, right? Right there. Uh, you talk about having a strong mother. Your stepfathers were there, that support system. Talk about that time that, you know, that was precious to you in your childhood. Absolutely. Um, my mom got married when I was in the fourth grade to my former stepfather. His name is Marcus. Um, and he taught me, I remember the, the first day literally that I met him, um, I was actually outside in the backyard trying to plant some watermelons because I was always interested in like, you know, doing outdoor work. And um, he came out and actually showed me how to uh, to plant the watermelons only with my shovel. And my watermelons were successful that year. Um, but I was cl clearly doing it wrong. But uh, he came and showed me how to do it. But ever since then, we've done so many things like fishing. And he taught me how to kill animals and skin them. And um, we, we built everything in the backyard. Uh, we built all of our sheds and dog houses. Um, we had so many animals. We had chickens and goats and dogs and rabbits, uh, everything. Um, so we also grew all of our own food. So anytime my mom uh, wanted to cook, you know, she we'd go outside and pick what we wanted to eat. We had fruit, trees, everything. Um, we even grew our own seasoning. Like literally, we grew everything um, at our house. Um, so our our house in the hood was like that little house that everybody went to to get, you know, fresh vegetables and fruit. Etc. Um, because that's what we had. We had fresh eggs from our chickens. Uh, we had dogs. Like I said, we built everything. So every shed we had in the backyard, we built ourselves. Um, we even turned our washroom in the house into a, a bedroom and we moved the washroom outside. We built the shed for our washroom and we, we ran the pipes from under the house all the way under the ground, all the way out to the shed. Um, and we, we ran the electricity out there, etc. Um, and it, all of it's pretty easy. I didn't even know it was that easy. But when you have somebody know how to do that stuff, 
um, you know, it's, it's easy. Um, exactly. I welded. We built grills for people. Like, we take these big old gas tanks from, like, old trucks and stuff. We cut them open, um, and we'd weld them, you know, together uh, with, like, hinges and stuff, and we'd make grills for people like that. So we used to make, like, grills out of gas tanks and stuff. But we, we did some of everything. Like, sometimes I have to sit down and, like, really realize everything that we did because he taught me how to do so much. And I didn't understand at the time, you know, how important those things were until I got older and realized a lot of other boys couldn't do these things uh, and stuff. My granddad, you know, taught me how to do. And, you know, I just feel like those things are important. Then my current stepfather, um, you know, he he's a more of a businessman. Um, many people may know him from the first 48 uh, Detective Hardaway, DeKalb County. Um, that's my stepfather. And um, and he's like more of the business side. He taught me, you know, how to you know stand up and walk straight and, you know, command a room, et cetera. So my former stepfather was a country man. And my current stepfather is a businessman. So I got like the best of both worlds. So you can see me in a suit and you can catch me with a dirty shirt on another day in a cowboy hat. Uh, so that's kind of how, you know, I grew up. Um, my mom was extremely important in my life. Uh, my, my biological father wasn't always there, but my mom always made sure we had a, a, a great relationship. Um, I'm super, you know, appreciative of my mom for making sure that we weren't like, I wasn't angry at him because I have a problem with that with the boys in the program and their parents, you know, bashing the dad because he's not around. Um, and I'm just like, you know, I always tell some of the kids, I'm just like, well, who taught your dad how to be a dad? Did he have a dad? Or how can you fought him for not knowing how to do something? You know, nobody ever taught him. Um, and I always say, you know, I love my dad, you know, my biological dad, but he always, you know, agrees when I say I would never want to turn out like him. I'm glad he didn't raise me. That's just being real. Um, you know, everything happens for a reason. Uh, so I don't hate him. I still call him like, you know, he's been in my life forever. I stopped by his house. You know, we have conversations. He sends me text messages. But my mother was extremely important in fostering that relationship growing up because uh, my mom would do things. I mean, I'm not saying every mom should do this, but my mom used to go like for Christmas and my birthday or something. She'd go buy gifts to go give to my dad, then take me to my dad and pretend that, you know, he gave him giving me the gifts. You know, just just to help him. She she till this day will call him on my birthday and be like, don't forget to call your son for his birthday. Um, and I even remember one year my um, I tell this story all the time. My, my dad actually brought me a, a birthday cake um, on a, a, a month before my birthday. Uh, he brought it on June the 26th instead of July 26th. And um, he brought me a chocolate cake. I hate chocolate cake, but I ate it anyway because uh, right. it was it was from my dad. And I was extremely happy about it. I didn't care if it was the wrong day. It was just my dad brought me something. My dad only came to three football games growing up. Uh, I remember those three games vividly because he was there. Um, but I played so much football growing up. But I only remember those three games really because my dad showed up. So dads are important. But boys are going to mimic the men that they're around. Um, and if they're around no men, they're only going to mimic the women or mimic social media. Um, and that's something that we have to understand. So, um, but my, my upbringing is a big part of why I am the way I am. Even the men that were in our neighborhood, um, some guys down the street grew their own food. Uh, we had a guy behind our house, his name was Deacon Bogan. He was always cutting his grass. You know, to this day, if you go past South Street right now in Albany, he's somewhere out there in that yard. <laughs> he always cutting the grass um, every day. I don't know how he finds something to cut every day, but he does. Uh, but all those men helped foster our environment. I believe we had a little small village that helped me become the man that I am today. Yeah, and it takes a village, present day skill. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're doing. Yep. As we're telling the stories, like, wow, back into my own childhood, we have a lot of things in common, right? Uh, from a very small town here in South Carolina, uh, lived on the outskirts. My grandfather was in the picture first. My father wasn't there, just like yours. And my mom never spoke ill will of him, always fostered that right. relationship. Never, you know, go, go see your daddy, check on your dad. 
Oh, you did. Mm-hmm. Still present day. I'm 32 years old. Still, I'm saying those same things. Stepfather stepped in, having that father figure after my grandfather passed away. You know, mm-hmm. teaching us various things that we needed to know. I'm the only boy. I'm the only boy my mm-hmm. mom's had. I know that you're your mom's only child, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's just amazing to see that the village is not dead. It's not dead, and it's still rising. You have your own village that you're making, and I love it. Please. What idea, how did this idea come about in just fostering the young males that were around you at such a young age? Yeah, um, I came up with this idea uh, back when I was uh, 18, 19 years old, um, where I live, like I explained, our, our violence is extremely bad uh, where I live. Uh, we're constantly having a lot of children killed. Um, just a few weeks ago, we had a nine-year-old shot. Um, we have a 12-year-old killed. Uh, so many children dying. Um, and it shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't be up there close to Atlanta, you know, as far as murder, uh, murder rate, uh, you know, by the population, we shouldn't be that high. Um, but we are. And, um, you know, I speak about the children all the time, especially the juveniles, because we don't, my program is the only standing rehabilitative program for juvenile delinquents in Southwest Georgia. Um, and I've been running it out of my house for like the past three years. Um, and, and that's an extremely, you know, a huge problem for me, because I'm just like, I can't even take as many kids as y'all want to send me. Uh, well, not yet anyway, you know, so I'm just like, that's, that's absolutely ridiculous, you know, but I'm just like, we all have to be doing something. So I would go to these different community meetings every time somebody's killed. We want to have all these stop the violence meetings in Albany. It's literally every time somebody gets killed, we want to have a stop the violence meeting. And everybody goes there to be philosophical, to hear themselves talk, and nobody actually goes out and does anything, you know. And I felt like, you know, nobody was being as consistent with the boys and the children as I wanted to see them be. Um, like the boys need real consistency. Like they don't need a day program. They don't need a, a you know, a event here and there. They don't need a motivational speaking. You know, they need somebody to be consistent with them on a daily basis, checking on them, going up to their schools, keeping them, reading with them, disciplining them all the time. And it's, it's tough. You know, I'm not saying everybody, you know, should do it, but that's what we're going to need to see. If we really believe that we want to see our boys change, we got to go do that ourselves and be consistent with it. So I've had children come live at my house, et cetera. You know, because I need to see them like really changing and these children are developing. But I always tell people the, the issues, you know, they have are like almost 99 percent environmental. Like literally when I take them out of their environments, they turn into a different child. I've had the worst children come live with me or well, the worst, you know, in statistics come live with me. They armed robbery, uh, Grand Theft Auto, et cetera. These kids come live with me and they're the, the most angelic kids you would ever find. I'm just like they do everything you ask them to do. They're not bad talking to you, et cetera. And so, but listening to the law, their probation officers, they sound like the worst kids you ever run into. And me personally, I love the kids from the juvenile court system more than just the regular kids, because those kids from juvenile court really want the discipline. They want somebody to care about them. They want somebody to show them how to do something different. They got work ethic and they want to go make money, you know, et cetera. So I'm, I'm trying to teach these, you know, juvenile delinquents these things and they're wanting to learn. Um, so just actually working with these children, you know, that's where I got the ideas from, you know, actually being with them and wanting to be consistent with them. It ain't no easy feat. You know, uh, this past summer, I had 36 kids living with me and my grandma. You know, um, I had used her house this past summer, but it's about for two months, 36 kids breaking up fights, feeding them. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's a lot, you know, but at, <laughs> as time went by, you know, we had to remain consistent with them. So it was, it was extremely tough. But that's something that you got to you know, be built for. And I felt like I was built for it because they listen to me. They start changing, you know, and they want to see you be consistent. They want to make sure you allow them to make mistakes, et cetera. A lot of them try to come in there and try to be bad on purpose. 
you know, and um, try to get kicked out or whatever. But I don't allow that to happen. I always tell them, you're not going nowhere. So you can try, go out and try to be as bad as you want to, but you're not going nowhere. You know, but when they once they see that you actually care, then they start not wanting to disappoint you and things like that. So as long as I can remain consistent in their lives, you know, they'll start changing. So these ideas come from just simply working with these children, you know, seeing what they need and, and trying to foster that environment for them. And I, I love I love the idea of you not giving up on them because so many right. young lives thus far, uh, we've mentored ourselves, we, we've been there ourselves, right? Right. But what are some of the things that you do with them? that will um, assist with their, with them overall, with their overall being lifelong? Um, well, I know a lot of people see us, you know, do like, um, like the oil change workshops and the brake change workshops. We teach them how to, you know, work on um, uh, houses, like changing toilets and sheetrock and we've done welding, firearms training or whatever, but we teaching them these things just for them to learn, but also to, to develop confidence, you know, in the children. So a lot of kids who are not academically or athletically inclined, some of them start feeling like they're worthless because they don't know how to do anything. So yes. once I took some of these kids and taught them how to change oil or change brakes or taught them how to make an omelet, just, just little things that I've taught them how to do, you know, for them to be able to go show their mom, you know, that they can do something for their mom to go be proud of them, for them to receive a certificate for doing something that, that ain't, you know, schooling or that ain't playing football. You know, it makes them feel proud. Like, I remember the first year of my camp, you know, I taught my boys how to make an omelet. Like, just, just something, you know, because I have a culinary degree. So it's just something simple. And um, to hear the stories their moms told at their little graduation about them making the omelet was, was so beautiful because the kids, they they at home like, y'all, look, I'm going to cook breakfast this morning. Mama, I'm going to show you I know how to make an omelet, you know, or whatever like that. But to hear the mamas, yeah, so to hear the mamas, you know, be so proud of their kids. And, they, you know, they was like, I, one mom almost crying because they felt better about themselves. They it developed a new attitude in them, teaching them how to grow their own food, et cetera. So you feel like a man, you know, once somebody, you know, showed you how to do something and you can actually do something you see other men, you know, know how to do. So it develops their, their self-confidence a whole lot, but also um, our discipline. And I don't allow the children to like, you know, get one or two chances to do anything. If I tell you to do something, you don't do it, you get disciplined immediately. And our discipline consists of a lot of physical exercise, like uh, mountain climbers, push-ups, high knees, running back and forth, a lot of annoying games, making them pick up stuff and, you know, uh, chant, you know, the uh, definition of discipline and stuff. So, but, uh, and they hate that. It's worse than a whooping. Uh, it hurts really bad. Um, but I love doing those things because uh, for one, the boys don't, um, they don't get in trouble by themselves. And so if we have a group of 20, 20 of my boys and I tell all of them not to talk, one of them does or one of them is having a conversation, I make everybody get in trouble because why are you allowing him to talk? Um, he shouldn't have been talking in the first place or whatever. And I told all of you to stop talking or or if I told them all to, you know, get their shirts, you know, looking a certain way. But one kid's shirt is not looking that way. OK, why y'all didn't fix his shirt? Y'all saw his shirt messed up. Right. Like you got to be accountable for each other because I always tell them they lo- they laugh at me every time. But I always say if I'm in the car and you got weed, we all got weed. You know, oh, so yeah. we all got weed. We all going to jail. So you got to be accountable for each other. So my biggest thing for them is accountability and teaching them that everything is, you know, a we thing, not an I. We always have to make sure everything's a team, you know, because school would breed a lot of individuality. Um, and I believe that's done on purpose, too, because it never teaches you to work together. Um, and that's something extremely important. Um, so I always want our boys, you know, to, to make sure that they're understanding that we are brothers and we can make this thing happen together. We can succeed together. Um, and, and that's how we can do it. Yes, together. I didn't learn that aspect mm-hmm. until I got to college and I placed a fraternity. I didn't know <laughs> yeah. until that moment. And when I did, it just, it was a major eye opener for me. And I'm like, if I would have learned this a little bit sooner, 
right? Mm-hmm. I learned this concept, this concept a little bit sooner and looking after your fellow men and, you know, helping them when I can and you know, all that kind of good stuff. You know, I feel like, oh, I would have been that much more effective as a, as a, as a human. But I feel that we learn at different speeds. We learn at different rates. Right that season and that reason at that time for us to do it. Um, you said something um, earlier as well about just being genuine, being real with them, because with our youth today, you have to tap in, right? You have to tap into them and offer them to trust you. And I know that one of the major issues, a lot of, our, a lot of issues with our young males today, but one of the issues you stated in a previous interview was um, some of them being molested. Um, mm-hmm. and you can relate oh, to yeah. that, right? You can definitely relate to that. So how mm-hmm. does your stories encourage and inspire and motivate your students and be having that relatable factor does it draw you closer of course um you know i just i mean i just graduated high school 2017 so i'm not out of high school you know like 10 years uh so some of the tricks they try to play and things like that you know i'm just like dog i literally (laughs) just graduated bro like you're not smooth like i did all of this stuff uh, so, you know, it's it's easy to relate to them, listening to the same type of music they're listening to, um, having the same conversations, understanding what they mean. Um, and a lot of them, again, are more able to listen because they see I'm young, I'm successful, I have a nice, you know, car or house or whatever like that. And and they're like, well, I got somebody to look up to that's right by me. Like, and they, of course, they love, you know, that people know me on social media. So they love, you know, the extra boys. They love, you know, saying that I'm, a, I'm in the extra boys. You know, I got kids mad because they, they ain't able to join right now, you know, because they they're happy that somebody is close to them, you know, um, successful in doing something. And I'm not an athlete or a rapper or none of that. I'm just out here trying to help y'all. Um, and that's extremely important. Um, so yeah, I definitely think, um, being relatable to them is, is definitely has a lot to do with my age. Um, you know, and I, I also feel like I need to develop, you know, with them, you know, and grow with them. Cause I don't consider myself an adult till the age of 25. That's when the decision-making part of your brain is finished developing. Uh, so I still have a council of elders that I consult, uh, my manager, my mom, granddads, uncles, I always call, you know, everybody trying to help me, you know, with these decisions. Cause I don't even know everything about raising a kid. I got, I got a little experience now, you know, working with them for three years. Um, but I still need counsel. You know, I still need people to help me, but definitely um, just just staying uh, around them and being consistent with them. That's how I figure out, you know, how I'm able to you know, relate to them even more than I do now, um, because there are still things, even though I just graduated, they're they doing new stuff now. I'm just like, where y'all get that from? You know, but it's always something new or something new that they're talking about or some new dance or some new phrase or or anything, you know. So it's, I, I have to try to, you know, stay up to date with what's going on with them. Um, but I'll definitely say, you know, especially with them getting molested and, um, you know, physical abuse at home. And, uh, you know, I got kids whose parents don't want to see them eat food. I mean, it's ridiculous stuff that I've run into out here, you know, working with these children. Um, so <laughs> my story, you know, is definitely, you know, something, you know, important for them, especially after, you know, boys are molested by women. And um, a lot of them aren't taught that it was wrong. And so a lot of people always wonder why a lot of guys are like, super hypersexual and stuff like that. that's because you know a lot of them experienced that at such a young age you know that's all they kind of feeding for almost like crack you know growing up they didn't have therapy or counseling you know to let them know that that was wrong you know and um let them know that, that it affected them you know uh, psychologically uh so those things are extremely important um in regards to me being able to relate to them because uh, some of their stories they try to give i'm like dude i grew up in the hood too i grew up like literally half and half i grew up in the hood and i grew up in a nice neighborhood too so some of my kids that come from a nicer neighborhood, I can relate to you a little bit. Some of my country kids and hood kids, I can relate to them too. You know, so I just think my upgrade, upbringing in general was was designed by God for me to be able to teach these children, you know, what I know. Gotcha, gotcha. And going back, 
as well, you know, again, the concept of people, students, the boys with their struggles, you know, with their issues, right? And how you are able to relate to them in that matter. How do you explain the concept to your young males of masculinity and what that looks like in society today? How do you cover that topic? Um, well, this is always an interesting conversation because right now, just the, the toxic masculinity, I don't even think there's a such thing. I think, well, it is, but I would say it's more of uh, too much femininity um, because uh, a boy that's, you know, operating in, in his masculinity or whatever like that is is simple. You know, it's not a, a super extravagant thing. We're not abusive or anything like that. Like try, people try to make it seem because, you know, I, I think a lot of those issues come from not having a father around. Um, but for a man growing his own food, taking care of his family, able to help take care of his community, able to take care of his children, able to do things for himself, able to love on his wife, love on his children. Those things are what I consider, you know, being a masculine man. Um, now, of course, I, you know, will get pushed back, you know, for saying things like boys need fathers. Like I remember I was having a community in Albany, maybe like a month ago. And I was saying, well, some of these boys need fathers. And some guy was like, well, that's not true because my mom raised me good and I ain't have a daddy. And, um, you know, sometimes women can raise boys just as good as a man can. And I was just like, that's you wouldn't say that to no woman. You wouldn't tell a woman that you could raise a daughter as good as she could. That makes no sense. You know, how can a woman teach a man how to be a, a man? That's that's just impossible that you probably had more father figures growing up. You probably had some male teachers around or something. Your mama just ain't just raised you completely on her own. You know, and you turned out to be this masculine male that I see. That ain't how that happened. You know, um, that's just that's just not how the universe works. Um, you know, there's a man somewhere, you know, in there and those boys need fathers. I, and then somebody was saying that's me discounting the work of single mothers when I say boys need fathers. I'm like, I didn't even mention single mothers. We shouldn't even want our mothers to be single. So why are we even, you know, parading that award on like an award? That's not an award. You know, that's that's something we need to be trying to fix. You know, that's that's a that's a problem, not a not a, a award like we love to parade around like, oh, I'm a single black mother. And I don't know. Let's figure out how we can fix that, ma'am. Let's figure out. What can we do as men to, to make sure we're eliminating, you know, our women having to be single mothers? Um, and that comes from choosing, you know, better partners to sleep with and have children with. And that, that comes on both sides, you know, so definitely teaching our boys, you know, about uh, picking and choosing, you know, who you decide to sleep with and who, who you decide to have a baby with. Because um, mm -hmm. a lot of our um, problems come from, you know, uh, having children just haphazardly because um, we have a lot of people just out here having sex and ain't, you know, participate well paying attention to who you having sex with just out here just wilding and then just having children and i know people with so many kids and so many guys with 100 baby mamas and or mamas with 100 baby daddies like this that's a problem too because you are not able to effectively raise those children by yourself like i know mama's got seven eight kids at home she working the kids at home all day like that's 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 incubating a lot too there at that house you know, because they ain't got no daddy. They ain't got mama around. They kind of raising themselves. And then the oldest kids are ended up having to be parents way earlier, which is which is another reason I think it plays into, you know, uh, you know, kids getting pregnant so early because they already being mama and daddy. You know, so they already used to it. They already changing diapers and, and making sure the kids eat and, and washing dishes and cleaning the house. You're already an adult at 14, 15. I really don't like, you know, how a lot of parents, you know, will force their children to to be the parents of their kids. Kids can't even participate in what they want to participate in because they got to watch their little sister or watch their brother. You know, just, just little stuff like that. That ain't their child. They ask you to go have it. You know, they need to go experience life and not be an adult at the age of freaking 15, 16 years old. Talking about teaching them responsibility. That's not responsibility. You are irresponsible. But, you know, that's a whole nother conversation for another day. And how are you 
actually talking with your young males about this though? Are you expressing this to them at such a young age? Some things, um, I know a lot of people think that uh, in the program, we I kind of talk directly to the children about some of these things. Some of the things I don't even really talk about because a lot of it is operating in the essence of which I want to see them operate in. Because a lot of learning happens like um, a lot of learning happens without me just teaching them. It's kind of like how your grandma taught you. Well, your grandma ain't really teach you how to fry chicken. You just happen to be walking past in the kitchen, you know, five or ten times or whatever. You know, going to make you some water. You see her put the bread and the and the seasoning, you know, and put it in the in the grease. Or kind of how I learned how to grill growing up. Like my uncles didn't give me a class on how to grill. It's just you know I happen to be going to the family reunion a few times or happen to see my stepdad outside on the grill a few times, and I you know kind of caught on. So some of those things, you know, they're gonna learn. Um, you know, just being around. Uh, being around a man. So uh, like even some of the things I learned from my stepdad, like just how to, you know, operate in the house, you know, what um, traditions we do, you know, how do you, you know, talk to your wife? How do you, you know, talk to your children? How do you discipline? I didn't have a class on those things. I just kind of saw like what it was that I should be, uh, should be doing. So a lot of these kids, they start emulating, you know, me and the other men that I have them around just by being around. So if I'm being a well-made man, which is why I have to take care of myself so often and, and pay attention to what I'm doing, is because they'll start doing these same things because they are around. So some things I don't even have to just have. I don't have to say, hey, you should talk to your wife like this or you should talk to your kids like this or you should operate this way. No, I just, I just operate in that essence. That's kind of like how a woman has to constantly say, well, I'm going to be a submissive woman and I have, I'm going to do this. Or you can just kind of operate in that essence. You don't have to say it. I don't have to teach them. Just operate in the way in which I want to see them be. So. You get, you know, in order to be a man, you got to see a man. I can't teach that. I have to show you that. Um, so, yeah, sure, we'll have conversations here and there if they ask about it. But man, most of the teaching comes from them just being around uh, me and the other men that I have them around. I like the I like the aspect of you. Um, you showing them as well but to cater to the different types of learning styles that our students and our, our young generation has. Mm-hmm. Um, that they just need year round. I mean, all the way around, right? Yep. Uh, the actual topping um, of it as well, because um, it it's going to affect them long term. It's going to right as they get into their adulthood and trying to make those decisions. It took me a long time, a long time, to figure out what does masculinity mean to me as mm-hmm. a black male in this society. I was in many different directions, but once I had all the cards on the table and I figured out, okay, I agree with this. I don't want this. I already seen what that was like. I've already been through that. That was a negative experience. So I made it, I made it up for me. And now I'm comfortable in my own skin and saying mm-hmm. who I am as an individual. So right. cool, but it's up to them to ultimately decide later on. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. And that's Absolutely. That. I don't, I don't, I don't want to, you know, like um uh, them they have to be a certain way or things like that you know i can kind of just give them the keys you know that i believe that'll make them successful you know as men but every man is going to be different um and most men are still kind of going to be like the men they were raised around but everybody has different personalities everybody's still you know um going to have certain traits that they are born with uh and i say that because we feel like some character traits are not coming from parents but you do um like i haven't been around my dad that often um, but we do so much, so many things alike. We laugh the same. We walk the same. We say certain words the same. We I, Some of the things he does, I do. And I've never been around him like that. Even I met my granddad for the first time in March. My, my dad's dad. I, he didn't know I was alive. I've been looking for him my whole life. I met him for the first time in March. 
being around him, we stand up the same. He say some words like me. We we talk the same. Like literally, some of these things you you go have because they it's in the DNA, you know. Um, so you know, I don't know how a lot of their fathers were raised, etc. You know, so a lot of that stuff is going to come, you know, just in their system. Um, and I know sometimes we'll try to act like, you know, we're not going to get nothing from our parents that may be bad, but or even good. But I'm just like, you're going to get something from your parents, because like I said, you know, I hadn't been around my dad like that. I had been around my granddad like that. But for me to stand like them, walk like them, talk like them, laugh the same, giggle the same, you know, move our faces a certain way like that's that stuff is in, in your DNA. You know, um, so I definitely feel like um, you want to make sure that they're being individuals. You don't want to like tell them they have to be all have, have to be a certain way. They all have to walk a certain way. You know, no, none of that. You know, you, you want to make sure that they're being an individual themselves, but also working as a team, um, which is why I want to try to foster an environment for them to be themselves, you know, and be, you know, whatever it is that they want to be, you know, whenever they become an adult, et cetera, you know, and teach them how to, you know, be successful in the, the keys that I know um, to be as successful as a man, you know, here in America. Love it. I love it. But when we come back, we're going to talk about King's perspective of not being anti-government, but being anti-excuses. Back in a moment. Next, King describes his perspective of being anti-excuses. Back in a moment. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's the White Holden Jr. with Dan Sheffield. And you're watching the Michael Pinkley Show on Roku TV and YouTube, baby. School districts, organizations, nonprofits, are you in search of a new promotional products company? Seeger's Promotional Products is a black-owned national company with over 780,000 products to choose from. Compared to other promotional products companies, they have the lowest prices in the industry. From pens, bags, shirts, they got you covered. They always remember that you are the customer and you come first. They always promise fast production and also fast delivery. With Seeger's Promotional Products Company, you truly have the best. Check out their website at SeegersPromotions.com and also on Facebook and LinkedIn. And tell them Finkler sent you. She is a flexible and she is a multitasker. She is a wife, a mom, she is city councilwoman. She yeah. When I was growing up, mom worked outside the house, and so my dad was an entrepreneur. I saw him leaving early in the morning or late at nights to go meet with clients, and he was always one who told me, you know, if you show up on time, you're late. I just admire how she's able to not only juggle the demands of her jobs, but keep her family really first. The outstanding thing about the Isaac family is their noble contributions to improving the quality of life for our Colombians and people all over this state. Aye. I, Tamika Isaac, do solemnly swear. Discharge the duties thereof, so help me God. So help me God. Congratulations and best wishes. I first ran because I saw a need, I saw a void that needed to be filled, a voice uh, that wasn't there. And over the last several years, I feel like I've been able to be that voice. So 
often as women in whatever spaces that we're in, um, we are often discounted because we're a mom or we're a wife or we have this career. And she's an everyday woman who shows women what excellence looks like. She has walked the walk of being a small business person, of being a parent, of sending her kids to school. Columbia is a great place, and we have done a lot in the last few years as far as law enforcement. But law enforcement can't do everything, nor should it do everything. We have to really expand upon the tools, technology, and community policing, investing in our communities uh, so that law enforcement is a partner with our communities. Being a Columbia native, I've seen the way this city has grown. It's grown to the point that sometimes not everybody's been a part of that growth. I want to make sure that communities, specifically communities of color, make sure that they are part of Columbia's present and its future. I want to have a climate plan for this city that not only helps us be sustainable, but also helps provide opportunities for folks in the workforce. There are so many opportunities to take advantage of technology, uh, green energy. I want to be the advocate for growing our city and being on the forefront, not just looking at what other cities are doing and following them, but being the leader. If you don't have the right leadership, you're going to miss a lot of opportunities. I think having a woman as mayor of the city of Columbia is long overdue. I'm Tamika Isaac Devine, and I'm running for mayor of the city of Columbia. Show. We are still chatting with King Randall here. And we left off in asking the question, King, please talk about this perspective of not being anti-government, but being anti-excuses. Absolutely. Uh, so many people um, who uh, come into contact with me or, you know, ran into me on social media, saw the interview with Roland Martin. And um, I, <laughs> I know uh, the interview with Roland Martin, people were thinking I was saying that I was just like, you know, don't do nothing with the government, et cetera. That's not necessarily that what I was saying. What I was saying was I'm just anti-waiting on government or anti-excuses. I didn't say, you know, if the government offers something, don't use it. Of course, that. Of course, you should use it. Of course, you know, they're offering something positive, then use it. However, what I was saying, I'm not trying to live my life exclusively off the government. That's that's just not how that's going to work because just like I told Roland, if you give somebody, somebody the power to feed you, you give them the power to starve you too. You know, so I can use them as a stepping stone to get where I'm trying to be, but I'm not about to, they better take care of all my healthcare. They better take care of all my food, my lights, my clothes, my this, my that. I don't, I don't want y'all doing all that because at any moment y'all can be like, all right, we need to go do this and we're taking it all away. And then what you going to do? Nothing. You don't know how to do nothing. You can't change a tire. You can't, Ain't nothing, you know. So I'm just like, I, I, I don't want that to happen. But I'm definitely anti-excuses. I feel like we can do things, do things on our own, you know. But I, ain't, I'm not gonna sit here and, and just wait on government. I got people out here just, well, if we just vote our way through it, oh, that's not how it's gonna work. I, I still got people to tw in 2021 out here talking about vote their way through it. I'm just like, we're not gonna vote our way out of this, you know. We gotta fix it ourselves. Sure, we can voting can help. It could be, you know, you know, of some assistance, but we can't be out here. We having whole shows and twerk videos and everything about voting. I'm just like, can y'all do the same thing about people going to do for self and make communities? Can we give some of these, you know, uh, oppressive programs in our cities, you know, some competition? Because that's what's going to have to happen. We're not going to 
you know, fix them. Like we're trying to fix all the system. Bump fixing the system. Create your own system and give them some competition. That's the only way, you know, these these you know people are going to act right or, or even try to be better is if you give them some competition. You have to create a, com- a competing machine, you know, and that's what I believe. So you feel like your school system is doing bad and you've been trying to protest and fix it forever? Create your own school system and give them some competition. If the if the city government is doing bad or whatever like that, and y'all can't get them to bring no businesses in, well, you bring your own businesses in. Like we have to figure out how we can do it on our own. And the, the plans that I have for the city of Albany can literally, you know, be enacted without me being a mayor, without me being a city commissioner, without me running for Congress. I'm doing all these things on my own with no government assistance. Sure, if they like to help, that's fine. You know, but I'm anti-waiting on them. We're gonna do these things on our own before we even get them a chance to. Uh, I guess just going back again, you know, when you said about the whole concept of voting, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's still good to vote, you know, cast your vote, do what you need to right. do. But right. like said, some people think it actually solves it all. Like you vote and the next day it's, it's taken care of. But I right. feel that when, even when it comes down to voting, people don't do it correctly, right? They wait nope. until the vote for president comes and then once the president doesn't do what mm-hmm. they want to do, then you're all upset. It starts with local, right? It starts with local government, your state government, and moves onward in that direction. You have people that don't even vote in the local yep. or the state government, and they still want to expect change. But I love yep. the concept of go out and make it happen. Go out and do what you need to do. If they don't mm-hmm. give you an opportunity to do it, then you make your own. All right. We right. have that right. We that's what we were fighting so hard for um, as a culture. So we definitely have that right. Um, again, this is your right. Your school is your right. What kind of support have you seen um, in these in these times that um, that have assisted you with your school? You say that you don't depend on the government. What how have you been keeping that dream alive and building this school? Uh, practicing dual domination um, and dual domination is uh being able to dominate both sides of the political aisle to help support your cause. Um, so sometimes uh, uh, in our community, we have this thing where we only want to stick with the Democrats or do anything that the Democrats want to, you know, help us with. Or we won't try to accept any help from anywhere else. The message that I preach is universal and people love my message from everywhere, both sides, right wing, left wing, pro-black, whatever. Uh, people support my program from all walks of life. And um, I don't, you know, alienate anybody from supporting our program. Um, I have a lot of, you know, supporters and, you know, a lot of black people that kind of question my validity because white people like what I do. And I always ask them, I'm like, well, what is the problem, you know, with white people assisting and, you know, liking what I do? I'm like, what I'm supposed to put up with a disclaimer and say, hey, white folks, you're not supposed to like what I'm doing. (laughs) You know, so, but I'm just like, you know, I'm going to, you know, support, uh, you know, everybody, um, you know, as much as I can, um, you know, allow people to support us. you know, I feel like people of everywhere, somebody, you know, is trying to help solve the problem. You have to let them. Um, and I'm not going to alienate anybody. So we have support from everywhere. Um, we have super pro black, you know, initiatives that support what we're doing. We have right wing initiatives that support what we're doing, you know, and it's all just doing for self. And, you know, a lot of my posts, you know, and things that I do unify so many different groups of people. I um, mean, it's so beautiful. So our support comes from literally everywhere. I got people all over the, all the world that support from Australia to, to Indonesia, to London, to Spain, to Canada. Uh, we have support literally from all over the world. Um, for our program and these people support and hold our program up um, and I'm and I'm grateful for all these people as long as we keep doing the work people keep supporting 
Um, and, and that's something I wholeheartedly believe in. And that's just kind of how like some of these universities stay for like Harvard and all these people, they don't stay afloat from no government assistance. They stay afloat because they, they alumni going to give back, alumni you know, they alumni going to take yeah. care of them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, and I'm just, yeah. even with HBCUs, you know, a lot of them could do a whole lot better if the alumni would give back, you know, alumni should be, you know, help, help and taking care, taking care of them, you know? So I'm just like, that's, that's something I believe we could do. Say it again. <laughs> Don't go there, team. That's another story, sir. Don't go there. Yep. <laughs> I'm just saying, but that's that's something I believe, you know, we should yeah. be able to do for our for our own communities and, and schools and stuff. We should be able to give back um to our schools that especially are doing the work. Um so but other other than that, man, we get support from everywhere. And that's how we're able to keep to keep the program afloat. That's how our program remains free. This whole summer I had 36 kids in the in the house with me. I fed them every day. We got a school bus, we got to put gas in, et cetera. Parents, you know, paid no money. Kids paid no money. All of it was taken care of for all those kids, you know, and it's always been been that way for the program ever since, you know, we've hit the mainstream because we've been able to take care of our kids, you know, and I always want to make sure the program was free because a lot of our parents can't even afford it sometimes to even give five dollars, you know, but we have people from all over the world that are sponsoring these kids that are taking care of them and taking care of our program, you know, essentially. So we get support from everywhere. Um, definitely. Now, please explain the differences between support and control. Because when people say, uh, you know, you may you have a universal message, right? And a lot of you mm-hmm. support, right? You may have Republicans, Democrats, and they can they contribute to this. And a lot of people say, a lot of people are thinking when they contribute to it, that means they have to say so in what you do with right. your business within your company. So please explain the difference between those two concepts. Absolutely. Usually, when government is supporting your program or initiative, that's what you need to worry about. These people out here, that's family people who, you know, married and got two kids or whatever, they happen to see the program and want to send $200, you know, whatever like that. These people ain't calling me uh, after they donated. Like, all right, we donated $200 to your school. Now make sure you're saying this tomorrow or make sure you, nobody doing that. That's what they think. And I'm just like, you guys got it so backwards. I'm like, no, government does that to you. Regular people out here that, that support initiatives or whatever are not out here trying to control your message or control what you're saying or whatever. You just do the work. People want to donate to things that they see are doing good. I've yet to have anybody try me like that. And if somebody does, you know, or whatever, then obviously we won't take, you know, any of their donations. But that usually comes with a politician, somebody from government. It's always somebody from government. I'm like, ain't no regular people out here that's donating to you. Somebody, you mean to tell me people sending five and ten ten dollars here? And they're gonna call me and say, "All right, I've been sent you about ten dollars. Now we're gonna we want you to 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 tout our message. Ain't nobody doing none of that crap. Like people just say anything because uh, I, I, it reminds me of Jay Z's lyrics. Um, uh, from I forgot which um song it was. It's from uh, "The Double Is a Lot" by Rick Ross. And I'm explaining in the song how you know just because you're black successful, you know, and you don't think like everybody else, then you got to be an Illuminati or you got to be sold out or something like that because you don't have the same, you know, mind frame as all the other regular black people. Like, because I think a little different, you know, so he was like, you got to be Illuminati if a nigga shine. You can't be a nigga if a nigga rich. That's some, that's some nigga shit. You know, that's what he was saying. You know, he like, that's, that's some bull. Like how I can be rich, you know, but I can't be a nigga now because I got money or now I, I can't be black uh, and successful. I got to be an Illuminati or I'm just black and successful, you know, and I think differently. And that's how you're going to get successful is when you think different. Not none of these people that are bought out, like some of these athletes and stuff like that are pushing these mainstream narratives that people love to hear or whatever. These guys are bought out. These people are paid to do these things. A lot of these rappers are paid to rap the way they rap. 
and things like that, you know. So that's what you need to be looking out for. Those are the ones who done sold out. Those are the ones who sell them out to your community, not regular people out here teaching kids how to read. And I always ask people all the time, like even Tariq Nasheed was saying, I'm an agent. I said, what would the, what would the FBI want with me teaching kids how to how to read a book? What are they, what are they going to do? All right, King, today we're going to make sure you're reading the book, you know, with these kids and what are their parents doing? Like, come on, bro. Like, they just say anything, you know, if you ain't what they want you to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I just, I just, you know, my, my business, I, you know, I scratch when I itch and I dance when I like the music um, and I control everything that I do. Good to hear. Y'all heard that, right? Okay. Good to hear. Good to hear. So how has um, the progress of the school been? Where are they now? I know that you purchased some buildings. Where are you now in the process? All right. So, well, I got a big announcement Monday. I don't wish to talk about yet in regards to the school, um, considering what happened with the school system. Uh, so I just try to keep, you know, my mouth shut. Um, but I know we had a big blunder with the school system um, in, the, in the beginning because we were actually trying to purchase an uh, actual old school building from them that right. was up for demolition. Mm-hmm. And um, we got into it with them and they didn't want to sell it to us anymore, which is fine. Um, but we did buy three buildings um, on the more impoverished side of town in Albany. Um, and right now we're working on, you know, getting renovated. We've been using it right now to do our book club and things like that. Um, but right now we've been on pause for this announcement that'll be coming out on Monday. So whenever mm-hmm. Monday hits, um, you'll know some new news about the life preparatory school for boys. Um, but it's, it's a definitely a big announcement. And one thing about us, we're going to remain transparent with everybody. So we'll take everybody, you know, on our social media through a journey with us as we get our school ready for next year. We'll be opening next fall. So we're going to take everybody on a journey with us. You're going to see us painting. You're going to see us pressure washing. You're going to see us working on the roof. You're going to see me and the boys bringing in furniture. You're going to see us getting all the cosmetics ready. You're going to see us working on the curriculum all that stuff. We're going to take everybody through a journey with us so that way you don't miss anything. You can be a part of the process with us. Um, we're going to make sure everybody sees us going to Home Depot, buying paint, like all that. We're going to walk everybody through the entire journey with us because so many people have supported us for the last two, three years, you know, getting just from me working out of my house all the way to us having our own school in just three years, you know, from being 19 to 22 now. I definitely feel like people are really enjoy, you know, walking through you know, this whole process with us. Um, and like I said, we have a big announcement on Monday. Uh, it may actually come after Monday, but I know we got papers to sign on Monday, but um, we'll see about how it gets released to social media. But we do have a big announcement. We're moving right along. We're looking at opening up uh, fall uh, 2022. I love it. I love it. Oh, going in the direction. And uh, as an educator, I've been an educator for now for the past 10 years, mm-hmm. teaching the concept of English. And so you're looking at a person that mm-hmm. hated to read and write, didn't much of it um, in, in uh, secondary ed and hated to read and now being a teacher and now with a focus on teaching African-American males, young African-American males, the concept of how reading is truly fundamental. I thank you for the service that you do in that aspect and preparing our students and leading the way. How can um, our folks that are watching, how can they um, watch your journey or even donate Absolutely. Um, well, and I also, also tell people all the time that you don't just have to donate funds. Um, anything that you haven't seen us teach the boys that you make and come teach, please reach out. Um, I would definitely love to host you, come to do any workshop. I don't care what you know how to do, whether it be financial literacy or teaching kids how to build a computer, welding, whatever. You know, um, if you want to come teach the boys how to do something, um, you can reach out to us at the thexforboys.org. That's T-H-E, letter X, F-O-R-B-O-Y-S.org. You can go there to figure out how to donate. You can go there to figure out how to volunteer. You can go there and look at all of our pictures, videos, whatever you want to see. It's all on the website. 
Um, all of my social media tags are on there as well. They're at New Emerging King on all social media platforms. That's at New Emerging King. And I always end every show, you know, with the same quote from one of our local hometown hero rappers. His name is Cantrell. He says, obstacles are optical illusions. They're not really there. Jump high anyway. Jump high just in case. Continue to jump high. Love it. Thank you, King, for being with us and telling us your awesome story and what you're doing for our youth. We appreciate you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Back in a moment. Calling all TRIO, Gear Up, JAG, and other college readiness organizations. Hello everybody, it's Finkley with the Finkley Experience. I am here to offer you information about our College Readiness Cohort Series. This College Readiness Series includes college applications, SAT, ACT prep, scholarships, financial aid, the mental mind state, HBCU versus PWI versus technical colleges, and so much more. You know this is helpful because it's actually like making me change my college plan. Really? If you're interested, visit our website, thefinkleyexperience.com, or just email us at michael at thefinkleyexperience.com. We're looking forward to working with you. Sometimes you get caught up in this, I want this per perfect picture type of mindset. I want to be perfect. And you beat yourself down when you're not perfect or you feel like that you made a mistake. So now that defines you as a person. Mistakes don't define you as a person. Progress do. So as long as you learn from your mistakes and take their progress and move it into your process, then that's when everything gets to happen for you. And then you get to build confidence, build yourself. But the moment that you make a mistake and you consistently down yourself, the moment that you make a mistake and you consistently beat yourself up, you will never grow from that area because you can't grow from a negative space. You got to grow from a positive space at all times. So don't let nobody tell you. Don't tell yourself. Don't let your family members tell you. Don't let your past define you or keep you in a nutshell to where you feel like you can't come out and just grow as you wish you can or do new things as you wish you could because you're looking at what you've been done, not at what you're doing. So when you get in that mindset, remind yourself that my past did not define me. I am not who I was. I am who I'm becoming. I am who I'm becoming every single day. I am who I imagine myself to be. I am the best version of me. I am this person that I vision in my head every day. And when you speak that and live that into existence, then things will start to weigh itself out, start to come into, you know, into motion and start to come to real life. As long as you keep negative self-talk, negative thoughts, as long as you keep yourself in the past, then you will no longer be able to move forward. They have a quote that said, as long as you drive and looking in your rearview mirror, you can't see what's ahead of you because you're so focused on what's behind of you. So remember that day by day is that stay looking ahead. You're not who you was. You are who you become. On the next Michael Finkley, Platinum R&B group member of Shy, Dr. Garfield Bright is with us. He chats with us about life after the group, receiving his PhD, and so much more. Next Finkley, Friday.
everybody, welcome back to the Michael Finkley Show. I hope that you learned something from our special guest today, King Rando, as he services his young males in a mighty way to prepare them for life. So we appreciate you here and continue to do the great work. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Michael Finkley Show, ring that bell for notification. We'll send you an email saying, hey, new content self-loaded. Please listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And for more information about what we do here on The Michael Finkley Show, visit our website at michaelfinkleyshow.com. Roku TV, you know I was getting to it. At the Michael Finkley Show, the Greater Works Network, via the Greater Works Network, and watch us every Monday and Friday, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or on demand. Thank you so much for watching us, and guess what? We'll see you next time. Have a good one.